Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is John, and I'm a member here. This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word for us today. Well, good morning. Uh, I have really been looking forward uh, to being here with you this morning. Um, as I do every time I come, uh, this time to see the space, the building that God's so kindly provided for you guys. Um, but I love being here. Um, the, I, I treasure the friendship between our churches and the friendship that God has built with Danny and the elders of Redemption. Um, your elders are such an encouragement to me as we, as we follow Jesus together. I just love being with you. It's a privilege to worship with you um, and to speak God's words to you this morning. So I'm, I'm so excited. Before we do that, can we pray together? Our Father, we rejoice at your words at those who find great spoil. Your words are more precious to us than gold even fine gold. Your words are sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. Your words are life to us. So thank you for this book. Thank you that, um, that it's alive and you continue to speak to us by it. Thank you that it, it reveals to us your son, the Lord Jesus. We want to see him this morning and trust him and rejoice in him and follow him. And so, our Father, um, you are here, and we ask that you would be at work by your Spirit to make us um, increasingly uh, a people in the likeness of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you, as I look around, are old. I'm, I'm looking for gray hair, mostly. Some of you are old enough to remember um, a guy named Rich Mullins, who was a uh, I saw a fist go up, and I love that. Uh, he was a, a Christian songwriter in the 1990s, um, a guy I, whose music I really treasure. And one of my favorite stories about him happened early in his career when he was still largely unknown. His, his big break was he got invited to be the opening act on a tour by Amy Grant. Some of you don't even remember Amy Grant. Um, and uh, so he was, he was largely unknown, but got this big break. And at the first show, Amy Grant's manager was backstage. She was in uh, the green room, the room with all the refreshments for the artists. And she saw this guy come in, in really shabby clothing, looking like he hadn't bathed or shaved in days. She thought he was a roadie. And so she said, I'm sorry, this is just for the artist. And he said, oh, no problem. And he left. 
And then a little bit later, uh, the announcer introduced Rich Mullins on stage and out comes the guy in the shabby clothing looking like he hadn't bathed for days. He wasn't what she expected. And Jesus regularly had the same problem. You'll often find in the the gospel accounts, Jesus will be doing something or his disciples will be doing something um, and people will be watching it and they'll say, hey, why are you doing that? How can he do that? How can he say that kind of a thing? And, And then Jesus will respond in a way that gives us this beautiful insight into who he is and why he came. You can think of the time when um, when Jesus, the people came to Jesus and they asked him, why don't your disciples fast? The disciples of the Pharisees fast, John's disciples fast, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, how can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is here? I've come to bring my bride, my people back to me. That's a time for feasting, not for fasting. Or, or they'll say, hey, why are your disciples gathering grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. This is a day for me to give my people rest. He's not what they expect, and when they notice it, it gives him this chance to reveal something of himself to them. And this is one of those stories. Look at verse 7. And when the people around saw that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's their complaint, and it sets up this absolutely wonderful saying in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And did you notice that little word came? A world of meaning is in that word. Jesus wasn't just born. Being born is something that happens to you. Jesus came. He left where he was and came to earth because there were some things he wanted to do. So what Jesus says in verse 10 about why he came, it illuminates this story about Zacchaeus. It tells us what it's about. And the story illustrates the saying. So we want to look at the story under three banners that come right out of the saying. Jesus came for the lost. Jesus came to seek. And Jesus came to save. He came for the lost. He came to seek. And he came to save. So first, Jesus came for the lost. Now, if you happen to grow up in Sunday school, you probably know the basic contours of this story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, please come down, for I'm going to your house today. But the heart of the story, the conflict of the story, actually begins where the song ends. Zacchaeus hurries down, he receives the Lord into his house with joy, and everyone else looks at it and shakes their heads and says, can you believe that Jesus went home with a sinner? That's the accusation. Zacchaeus is a sinner, and that makes Jesus a friend of sinners, and Jesus at no point disputes either part of that accusation. Zacchaeus was a sinner. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, he wasn't a sinner because he was rich. He was a sinner because of how he became rich. At the time, the Jews were under the military occupation of the Roman Empire. And Rome funded their occupation and their soldiers and their buildings and their roads by taxing the people under their rule. 
and they employed local people to exact those taxes from the people they ruled. The tax collectors had absolute discretion about what they gathered. They, they set their own salary by deciding how much to take from the people beyond what they had to pass on to Rome. So Rome might say to the tax collector, we need you to gather $300 per person. And the tax collector goes to the people and say, the tax is $400 per person, and they just pocket the $100 difference. They became rich by extorting their neighbors, those who were not honest, which among whom Zacchaeus seems to be. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was a ringleader among the thieves. So Zacchaeus was an outcast in Jericho for at least three reasons. One, he was stealing from everybody. Two, he was religiously and ceremonially unclean by doing so much business with the Gentile Romans. And three, he was a traitor to his people. This would be like living in German-occupied France during World War II and your neighbor takes a cushy job working for the Nazis. It's no surprise that he had this trouble that Luke names in verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. If Zacchaeus had been short and beloved, surely they would have made some space for him at the front. Maybe someone would have put him on their shoulders. But he's short and despised, so he can't get close enough to see Jesus. Now, why did he want to see Jesus? We, we don't know. It might have been mere curiosity. Jesus had quite a reputation by this point. He was traveling with a crowd, and he was passing right through the town where Zacchaeus lived. So why not get a glimpse while he could? Um, before, before I joined the staff at Crossway, my family and I lived for six years in the Cayman Islands. And in the last year we were there, uh, there was this airport renovation, and the opening ceremony of the airport, when it reopened, um, was going to be presided over by then uh, Prince Charles, now King Charles. Um, so did we take our kids out of school to see the Prince of Wales? Yes, we did. Because we thought someday that guy's going to be the King of England, and we can say, our kids will be able to say, hey, I saw that guy once, even though obviously they have no memories of it. Um, so it could have been, maybe Zacchaeus was like that. He was just curious. But maybe it was more than that. Maybe Zacchaeus had heard what people were saying about Jesus, that he was, this is Luke 7:34, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Maybe he wanted to see the sort of man who would be friends with someone as bad as he. We don't know why he wanted to see Jesus, but we can tell how much he wanted to see Jesus enough to run ahead of the crowd and climb a tree, not your usual conduct for a financial professional. He wanted to see Jesus very much. But from all Luke tells us, seeing is all he wanted to do, which means he must have been amazed by what happened in verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. And he wants to come into Zacchaeus' home. Even though he knew that the home was furnished and the food purchased by robbing his neighbors. We can understand the crowd's surprise. Out of this whole town, this is who you want to eat with? And it's even more than just wanting to go with Zacchaeus. Look at verse 5 again. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. I don't just want to, 
I have to. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't go to Zacchaeus' house despite the fact that he's a sinner. He went because he's a sinner. Zacchaeus is exactly who he's looking for. The crowd was appalled because they thought, surely no one associated with God would associate with Zacchaeus. God would want nothing to do with a sinner. But Jesus, God in the flesh says, I came for sinners. Now, there are lots of ways the Bible describes sin. It describes it as law-breaking. God has given us good commands for how to live, and we've broken them. We've rebelled against his rule. And that was surely true of Zacchaeus. God said, thou shalt not steal. And he stole. And the Bible also describes sin as idolatry. We take something created by God, and we worship it instead of God. We build our lives around a job, or a relationship, or our kids, or our reputation. Zacchaeus worshiped money. He was willing to betray God and his people in order to be rich. So law-breaking and idolatry, they're both true ways of characterizing Zacchaeus's condition. But those aren't the pictures of sin Jesus uses here. He describes sin as lostness. What does it mean to be lost? Well, it's not the first time that he has, he's described sin this way. This is what Luke tells us in chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, there's that word again, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? He actually tells them three parables about a shepherd going after a lost sheep, about a woman seeking a lost coin, about a father longing to be reconciled to a lost son. What does it mean to be lost? It means to be away from where you belong, to be in danger because you're away from where you belong, and to be unable to get back where you belong without help, without someone coming to get you. A lost sheep is away from its fold. It's in danger because it can't feed or protect itself and it can't get back on its own. And Jesus says, that's what a sinner is. He, has, he was made for God, made to live in the joy of God's presence under his loving rule, but he has wandered off following his own desires, and now he's in terrible danger. If he is not reconciled to God, he will, he will experience God's eternal judgment. He will be without God, without love, without joy, forever. And he can't get back on his own. He needs someone to come find him, a shepherd to come find him, lay him on his shoulders, and bring him home rejoicing. Jesus says, I know Zacchaeus is a sinner. That's why I picked him. I've come for the lost. Jesus has compassion for the person whose addiction has made them a slave. For the woman racked with guilt because of an abortion. For the person deceiving their spouse. For the child deceiving their parents. Jesus has compassion for those who are lost, who have gone astray. Apart from Jesus seeking and saving us, we're all lost. 
Maybe you know it. Maybe you know you're not where you're supposed to be or who you're supposed to be. And you need God to bring you back. Maybe you don't know it and you don't think of yourself as a sinner. Jesus told a parable once about a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a tax collector. They both went to the temple to pray. The Pharisee thanked God for all the ways he was better than other people, especially than the tax collector. The tax collector couldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says it was the tax collector that God called righteous. It's dangerous to be a sinner who's not reconciled to God, but it's even more dangerous to not think that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us loves God with all our heart. None of us loves our neighbor as ourselves. None of us is living how God has called us and made us to live. Jesus came for the lost, but in order to receive what he came to give the lost, we have to recognize ourselves as lost. Now, maybe on the other hand, you're a Christian and it's not hard for you to identify as a sinner. Maybe what's hard for you is to believe that Jesus has compassion for you when you sin. When you sin, your instinct is to think that Jesus is repulsed and he pulls back and you've got to make it up to him in order to get him to love you again. Does Jesus hate sin? Yes, he does. Is he grieved when his people sin? He is. But does he withdraw his love and favor when we fall short? He does not. If he moved towards Zacchaeus when he was still in his sin, how much more does he move towards those he has forgiven and redeemed? He has compassion for sinners. He sees that they need him. And he moves towards them. Now that should not make us feel free to sin. It should make us want to run to him when we do sin. Jesus came for sinners. He came for the lost. And secondly, Jesus came to seek. Now when you, when you read this story for the first time, you initially think it's mainly a story about Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But in verse 5, we re realize that mainly it's the reverse. Jesus comes to him, sees him, knows his name and says, I must come to your house. The only reason Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus was because Jesus was seeking him. Now, seeking may be a good description of what has brought you here this morning. You may not know exactly what you're looking for. You might have come with a friend whose life you respect, and they told you that the reason they have hope and peace during a hard time, of the reason they can live with integrity even when it's hard, is Jesus. Maybe you visited Redemption Church for Christmas and then you just kept coming. Maybe you have a persistent sense that there must be more to life than this and nothing you've tried has satisfied and you're willing to give Jesus a shot. It may be that the reason you're seeking him is that he has already been seeking you. The only reason anyone ever comes to God is that God has drawn them. Jesus says in John 6:44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you're a Christian, it's because you had before you had any interest in God, he was interested in you. Jesus seeks the lost. 
Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us before the foundation of the world. Christian, he chose you before he made the world. And that's when he chose Zacchaeus too. When Jesus was born and laid in the manger, God already knew the name of every Christian in this room. And Jesus came to seek us. And he didn't just come to seek. He had a purpose in seeking. And that's the third point. Jesus came to save. Look at verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation has come to this house. This man has been rescued. He's lost no more. Now we have to read this rightly because here's one way to read this interaction. You could read it like this. Zacchaeus says to Jesus, look how sorry I am for defrauding my neighbors. I'll give away half my property to the poor. I'll give back $4 for every dollar I took wrongfully. And Jesus looks at it and says, I can see that you're very sorry and you won't ever do it again. And I think you've done enough for me to save you. That is not what's happening here. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus's repentance and says, salvation has come to this house because the repentance is a sign that salvation is already here. Zacchaeus has been changed on the inside and is showing on the outside. How do we know? Look at verse 9 again. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. How was Abraham made right with God? Was it by his works? No, it was by faith. Genesis 15 verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He trusted God's promises, and God accepted him by faith. And the sons of Abraham are those who, like Abraham, put their faith in God and in his son. Galatians 3.7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. When Jesus says that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, he means this man has put his faith in me. Salvation has come and is showing itself through this wonderful generosity and repentance. What, what is the salvation that has come to this house? What happens to a person when they put their trust in Christ? Well, if we'd, if we'd worked our way right through Luke's gospel, we'd already know. The first thing is when a person puts their trust in Christ, they are forgiven. In Luke chapter 7, there's this wonderful story. Jesus goes and he has dinner at the home of a Pharisee. And a sinful woman comes in. She comes into the dinner and she stands in the room and she weeps over Jesus' feet. And then she washes his feet with her tears. And the Pharisee thinks, if Jesus was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is and he wouldn't let her touch him. It's back to this assumption that God wants nothing to do with sinners. But Jesus says, the reason she loves me like this is that she knows how much she's been forgiven. This is what he says in chapter 7, verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. By faith in Jesus, she's been forgiven. Her sins have been removed. She knows God will never leave her or condemn her. She's forgiven. And Zacchaeus, by faith, has been forgiven too. When a person trusts in Christ, before he ever improves or cleans himself up or gets his act together, simply through faith in Christ, his sins are removed. And he can know that God will never condemn him or cast him away. He will never face God's wrath. How can that be? How can it come so freely? Well, we haven't talked much about verse one of this passage this morning, but it's incredibly important in rightly understanding what's going on here. This is what it says. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho wasn't Jesus' final destination. He was passing through. There was somewhere else he had to be. Where was it? Look back at chapter 18, verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. That's how sinners can be forgiven so freely. Zacchaeus could receive his salvation as a gift because Jesus was on his way to purchase it at the cost of his life. Zacchaeus could have his sins taken away because Jesus was on his way to bear them on the cross in his place. The way Jesus rescued us from the danger of judgment was by taking it for us. It's why he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus became a man so he could die in the place of men and women. When Zacchaeus believed in Jesus, he was forgiven of his sins. And more than that, he began to be set free from the power of sin. His heart was no longer enslaved to the love of money. That's what we see here, isn't it? He'd become rich through fraud, through theft, but now in his joy, he gives half of his net worth to the poor. You could just think in your own mind what that would mean for you. Half of all that he has, he gives away and he makes restitution for all his fraud. The law said if you steal a sheep, restitution means giving four sheep back. So he says, I'll give fourfold of all I've taken. Having lived out of love for money, he now lives out of love for God. He has repented turned from sin to God, and he's bearing good fruit. Salvation did not come to Zacchaeus' house because he repented. He was saved by faith, and saving faith showed itself in repentance. When Jesus saves the lost, he transforms them. And many of you can say to that, amen. You can tell stories of how God has transformed you. You have a love for him that you never had before. There's patience where there was no patience. Self-control. But it's possible that someone is here who thinks of himself or herself as a Christian, but your faith has never changed you. There's no joy. There's no desire to please God. You know you're living in ways that grieve God, but that doesn't grieve you. When salvation came to Zacchaeus' house, he was changed. Jesus can change you, but
but it may mean coming to him, really coming to him for the first time. And there may be some here, you know that you're not a Christian, you know you need to be forgiven and made new, and you're not sure how. You can just tell that to God right where you are. Tell him you're sorry for how you've lived for yourself. Thank him that Jesus was punished in your place. If that's you, Danny or one of the elders or I would love to talk with you after the service. Don't put off dealing with God until you're in a better place, until you feel less ashamed, until you feel more deserving of his love. There's an old hymn that says wisely, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. Don't imagine you could become fit to receive his love. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. How grateful we should be that the living God is this kind of God. He pursues those who in no way deserve him, and he brings them to himself by grace through the death and resurrection of his son. He still seeks the lost. Believing friends, let's take seriously that there are people in our cities, in Kenosha, in Brookfield, in Tosa, people in our workplaces, people in our families whom Jesus is seeking. And he wants to use our speaking about him to bring others to faith in him and through faith into forgiveness and freedom from sin's power. Are we making ourselves available to him in that work? Asking him to use us to help others come into the joy of knowing him? Are we asking him to seek sinners through us? And let's name something else this means for our life together as local churches. Jesus sought the lost, the notoriously sinful, the people whom merely religious people would look down on as hopeless cases, like tax collectors and people trapped in sexual sin, people addicted and enslaved. Are we eager for lost people, really lost people, to join us on a Sunday? Would we move towards them and sit with them? Do our hearts go out to them as Jesus' heart does? If not, for that too, Jesus can forgive us. And in that too, Jesus can transform us. Redemption Church, Jesus came to bring sinners to himself. For many of us, he's already done that. For others, he wants to do that. Let's pray that he helps us to see him rightly and that he gives us grace to be part of his work of seeking and saving the lost. Let's pray. Our Lord, we rejoice at your coming and at why you came. We rejoice that you came for us because without you, we were and would be lost. We could not return to God without you coming and, and giving your life, putting yourself in our place on the cross and rising from the dead to give forgiveness and new life freely to all who believe. Thank you for coming for us. And we pray that you would seek and save the lost through this church, through these people, that as we go out from here, that you would through us seek and save 
and that that would be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.